0: Between the Essential Reads and the English Essentials, I spend a lot of time writing scripts. Now, I could do this from home, but it's a lot nicer to get out of the house and work in a coffee shop or a cafe. I could use my phone data to check articles and research for my scripts, but that can get expensive fast. It's so much easier to use the Wi-Fi at my favourite coffee shops. Well, thanks to Surfshark VPN, I don't have to worry about public Wi-Fi networks stealing my data. I simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers in 100 countries and continue working without having to worry about anyone stealing my data. Use the link in the description or episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 a month on a two-year plan and work worry-free wherever you please. Did you know that whenever you use a website, you give them permission to track what you do online? If you keep the tab open, they can see what you do and create a digital footprint of you. Well, with Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you never have to worry about downloading any risky files, but all of your web browsing will be protected, guaranteeing that you can search freely without leaving any digital footprint, and guaranteeing that you can't be tracked online. If you feel like your online protection should be better, use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today, and feel safe every day on your devices. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favorite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. Chapter 8 The sky grayed among the stars, and the pale late quarter moon was insubstantial and thin. Tom Jode and the preacher walked quickly along the road that was only wheel tracks and beaten caterpillar tracks through a cotton field. Only the unbalanced sky showed the approach of dawn, no horizon to the west and a line to the east. The two men walked in silence and smelled the dust their feet kicked into the air. I hope you're dead sure of the why, "'Jim Casey said. "'I'd hate to have the dawn come on us "'and be way to hell and gone somewhere.' "'The cotton fields scurried with waking life, "'the quick flutter of morning birds feeding on the ground, "'the scamper over the clods of disturbed rabbits, "'the quiet thundering of the men's feet in the dust, "'the squeak of crushed clods under their shoes "'sounded against the secret noises of the dawn. "'Tom said, "'I could shut my eyes and walk right there.' Only way I can go wrong is to think about her. Just forget about her, and I'll go right there. Hell, man, I was born right around here. I run around here when I was a kid. There's a tree over there. Look, you can just make it out. Well, once, my old man hung up a dead coyote in that tree. Hung there till he was all sorts of and melted, and then dropped off. Dried up like. Jesus, I hope Ma's cooking something. My belly's caved. Me too said Casey. Like a little eating tobacco? Keeps you from getting too hungry. Be better if we didn't start so damn early. Better if it was light. He paused to gnaw off a piece of plug. I was sleeping nice. That crazy muley done it, said Tom. He got me clear and jumpy. Wakes me up and says, Bye Tom, I'm going on. I got places to go. And he says, Better be going too, so you'll be off of this land when the light comes. He's getting screwy as a gopher, living like he does. You'd think Injuns was after him. Think he's nuts? Well, I don't know. You seen that car come last night when we had the little fire? You seen how the house was smashed? There's something pretty mean going on. Course, Muley's crazy, all right. Creeping around like a coyote, that's bound to make him crazy. He'll kill somebody pretty soon and they'll run him down with the dogs. I can see it like a prophecy. He'll get worse and worse. Wouldn't come along with us, you say? No," said Jode. "I think he's scared to see people now. Wonder he come up to us. We'll be at Uncle John's place by sunrise. They walked along in silence for a time, and the late owls flew over towards the barns, the hollowed trees, the tank houses, where they hid from daylight. The eastern sky grew fairer, and it was possible to see the cotton plants in the green earth. Damn if I knew how they're all sleeping at Uncle John's. He only got one room, and a cooking lean-to, and a little bit of barn. Must be a mob there now. The preacher said, I don't recollect that John had a family. Just a lone man, ain't he? I don't recollect much about him. Loneliest goddamn man in the world, said Jude. Crazy kind of son-bitch, too. Some like Muley, only worse in some ways. Might see him anywheres. At Shawnee, drunk, or visiting. A window twenty miles away. Or working at his place with a lantern. Everybody thought he wouldn't live long. A lone man like that don't live long. But Uncle John's old and pa. Just gets stringier and meaner every year. Meaner than Grandpa. Look at the light comin', said the preacher. Silvery like. Didn't John never have no family? Well, yes, he did, and that'll show you the kind of feller he is, in his ways. Pa tells about it. Uncle John, he had a young wife, married four months. She was in a family way, too, and one night, she gets a pain in her stomach, and she says, you better go for a doctor. Well, John, he's sitting there and says, you just got a stomach ache. You ate too much. Take a dose of painkiller. You crowd up your stomach and you get a stomachache, he says. Next noon, she's out of her head. and She dies about four in the afternoon. What was it? Casey asked. Poison from something she ate? No, something just burst in her uh, a- 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 appendix or-, or something. Well, Uncle John, he's always been an easy-gone fella, and he takes it hard. Takes it for a sin. For a long time, he won't have nothing to say to nobody. Just walks around like he don't see nothing. And he prays some. Took him two years to come out of it. And then he ain't the same. Sort of wild. Makes a damn nuisance of himself. Every time one of us kids got worms or a gutash, Uncle John brings a doctor out. Pa finally told him he's got to stop. Kids all the time getting a gutash. He figures it's his fault his woman died. He's all the time making up to somebody, giving kids stuff, dropping a sack of meal on somebody's porch. Give away about everything he got, and he still ain't very happy. Gets walkin' around alone at night sometimes. He's a good farmer, though. Keeps his land nice. Poor fella, said the preacher. Poor, lonely fella. Did he go to church much when his woman died? No, he didn't. Never wanted to get close to folks wanted to be off alone. I'd never seen a kid that wasn't crazy about him. he come to our house in the night sometimes, and we knowed he'd come, because just as sure as he come, there'd be a pack of gum in the bed right beside every one of us. We thought it was Jesus Christ Almighty. <laughs> the preacher walked along, head to down. He didn't answer, and the light of the coming morning made his forehead seem to shine, and his hands, swinging beside him, flickered, "'into the light and out again. "'Tom was silent too, "'as though he had said too intimate a thing "'and was ashamed. "'He quickened his pace "'and the preacher kept step. "'They could see a little "'into the grey distance ahead now. "'A snake wriggled slowly "'from the cotton rose into the road. "'Tom stopped short of it and peered. "'Go for a snake,' he said. "'Let him go.' They walked around the snake and went on their way. A little colour came into the eastern sky and almost immediately the lonely dawn light crept over the land. Green appeared on the cotton plants and the earth was grey-brown. The faces of the men lost their greyish shine. Jode's face seemed to darken with the glowing light. This is the good time, Jode said softly. When I was a kid, I used to get up and walk around by myself when it was like this. What's that ahead? A committee of dogs had met in the road in honor of a bitch. Five males—shepherd mongrels, collie mongrels—dogs whose breeds had been blurred by a freedom of social life—were engaged in complimenting the bitch. For each dog, sniffed daintily and then stalked to a cotton plant on stiff legs, raised hind foot ceremoniously, and wetted then went back to smell. Jode and the preacher stopped to watch, and suddenly, Jode laughed joyously. By God, he said. By God. Now, all the dogs met, and hackles rose, and they all growled and stood stiffly, each waiting for the others to start a fight. One dog mounted, and now that it was accomplished, the others gave way and watched with interest, and their tongues were out and their tongues dripped. The two men walked on. By God, Jode said. I think that up dog is our Flash. I thought he'd be dead. Come Flash, he laughed again. What the hell, if somebody called me, I wouldn't hear him neither. Reminds me of a story we tell about Willie Freely when he was a young fellow. Willie was bashful, awful bashful. Well, one day, he takes a heifer over to Graves Bull, Everybody was out but Elsie Graves, and Elsie wasn't bashful at all. Willie stood there, turning red, and he couldn't even talk. Elsie says, I know what you come for. The bull's out in the back of the barn. Well, they took the heifer out there, and Willie and Elsie sat on the fence to watch. Pretty soon, Willie got feeling pretty fly. Elsie looks over and says, like she don't know, What's the matter, Willie? Willie's so randy, he can't hardly sit still. <laughs> By God, he says, by God, I wished I was a-doing that. Elsie says, why not, Willie? It's your heifer." The preacher laughed softly. You know, he said, it's a nice thing not being a preacher no more. Nobody to tell stories when I was there, or if they did, I couldn't laugh, I couldn't curse. Now I curse all I want, any time I want, it does a fella good to curse if he wants to. A redness grew out of the eastern horizon, and on the ground, birds began to chirp sharply. Look, said Jode, right ahead, that's Uncle John's tank. Can't see the windmill, but there's his tank. See it against the sky? He speeded up his walk. I wonder if all the folks are there. The hulk of the tank stood above a rise. Jode, hurrying, raised a cloud of dust about his knees. I wonder if Ma... They saw the tank legs now. The house, a square little box, unpainted and bare, and the barn, low-roofed and huddled. Smoke was rising from the tin chimney of the house. In the yard was a litter, piled furniture, the blades and motors of the windmill, bedsteads, chairs, tables. Holy crass! they're fixing to go, Jode said. A truck stood in the yard, a truck with high sides but a strange truck, for while the front of it was a sedan, the top had been cut off in the middle, and the truck bed fitted on. And as they drew near, the men could hear pounding from the yard, and as the rim of the building sun came over the horizon, it fell on the truck, and they saw a man, and the flash of his hammer as it rose and fell, and the sun flashed on the windows of the house. The weathered boards were bright, two red chickens on the ground, flamed with reflected light. Don't yell, said Tom. Let's creep up on a whack. And he walked so fast that the dust rose as high as his waist. And then he came to the edge of the cotton field. Now they were in the yard proper, earth beaten hard, shiny hard, and a few dusty crawling weeds on the ground. And Joad slowed as though he feared to go on. The preacher, watching him, slowed to match his step. Tom sauntered forward, sidled embarrassingly towards the truck. It was a Hudson Super 6 sedan, and the top had been ripped in two with a cold chisel. Old Tom Jode stood in the truck bed and was nailing on the top rails of the truck sides. His grizzled, bearded face was low over his work, and a bunch of sixpenny nails stuck out of his mouth. He set a nail, and his hammer thundered it in. From the house came a clash of the lid of the stove, and the wail of a child. Jode sidled up to the truck bed, and leaned against it, and his father looked at him, and did not see him. His father set another nail, and drove it in. A flock of pigeons started from the deck of the tank house, and flew around, and settled again, and strutted to the edge to look over white pigeons and blue pigeons, and greys with iridescent wings. Jode hooked his fingers over the lowest bar of the truck side. He looked up at the ageing, greying man on the truck. He wet his thick lips with his tongue, and he said softly, Pa? What do you want? Old Tom mumbled round his mouthful of nails. He wore a black, dirty slouch hat and blue work shirt "'Over which was a buttonless vest. "'His jeans were held up by a wide-harnessed leather belt "'with a big square brass buckle, "'leather and metal polished from years of wearing, "'and his shoes were cracked and the soles swollen "'and boat-shaped from years of sun and wet and dust. "'The sleeves of his shirt were tight on his forearms, "'held down by the bulging, powerful muscles. "'His stomach and hips were lean and legs short, heavy, and strong. His face, squared by a bristling pepper and salt beard, was drawn down to the forceful chin. A chin thrust out and built out by the stubble beard, which was not so greyed on the chin, and gave weight and force to its thrust. Over old Tom's unwhiskered cheekbones, the skin was as brown as meerschaum and wrinkled in rays around his eye corners from squinting. His eyes were brown, black coffee brown, and he thrust his head forward when he was looking at a thing, for his bright, dark eyes were failing. His lips, from which the big nails protruded, were thin and red. He held his hammer suspended in the air, about to drive a set nail, and he looked over the truck side at Tom, looked resentful at being interrupted, and then his chin drove forward and his eyes looked at Tom's face, and then gradually his brain became aware of what he saw. The hammer dropped slowly to his side and with his left hand he took the nails from his mouth and he said wonderingly, as though he told himself the fact, It's Tommy. And then, still informing himself, It's Tommy, come home. His mouth opened again and a look of fear came into his eyes. Tommy, he said softly you ain't busted out, you ain't got to hide. He listened, tensely. Nah, said Tom, I'm prowled. I'm free, I got my papers. He gripped the lower bars of the truck side and looked up. Old Tom laid his hammer gently on the floor and he put his nails in his pocket. He swung his leg over the side and dropped lithely to the ground, but once beside his son, He seemed embarrassed and strange. Tommy, he said, we are going to California, but we was going to write you a letter and tell you. And he said incredulously, but you're back. You can go with us. You can go. The lid of a coffee pot slammed in the house. Old Tom looked over his shoulder. Let's surprise him, he said and his eyes shone with excitement. Your ma got a bad feeling she ain't never gonna see you no more. She got that quiet look like somebody died. Almost don't want to go to California, Feel she'll never see you no more. A stove lid clashed in the house again. Let's surprise em, Old Tom repeated. Let's go in like you never been away. Let's just see what your ma says. At last, he touched Tom, but touched him on the shoulder, timidly, and instantly took his hand away. He looked at Jim Casey. Tom said, You remember the preacher, Pa? he come along with me. He'd been in prison too? Nah, no, I met him on the road. He'd been away. Pa shook hands gravely. You're welcome here, sir. Casey said, Glad to be here. It's a thing to see a boy when he comes home. It's a thing to see. Home, Pa said. To his folks, the preacher amended quickly. We stayed at the other place last night. Pa's chin thrust out, and he looked back down the road for a moment. Then he turned to Tom. How we do her? He began excitedly. Suppose I go in and say... Here's some fellas, want some breakfast. Or, how'd it be if you just come in and stood there till she seen you? How'd that be? His face was alive with excitement. Don't let give her no shark, said Tom. Don't, let's scare her none. Two ringy shepherd dogs trotted up pleasantly until they caught scent of strangers. Then they barked cautiously away. Watchful. Their tails moving slowly and tentatively in the air, but their eyes and noses quick for animosity or danger. One of them, stretching his neck, edged forward, ready to run, and little by little he approached Tom's legs and sniffed loudly at them. Then he backed away and watched Pa for some kind of signal. The other pup was not so brave. He looked about for something that could honorably divert his attention, saw a red chicken go mincing by. "'and ran at it. "'There was the squawk of an outraged hen, "'a bust of red feathers, "'and then the hen ran off, "'flapping stubby wings for speed. "'The pup looked proudly back at the men, "'and then flopped down in the dust "'and beat its tail contentedly on the ground. "'Come on,' said Pa. "'Come on in now. "'She gotta see you. "'I gotta see her face when she sees you. "'Come on. She'll yell breakfast in a minute. I heard her slap the salt pork in the pan a good time ago. He led the way across the fine-dusted ground. There was no porch on this house, just a step and then the door. A chopping block beside the door, its surface matted and soft from years of chopping. The graining in the sheathing wood was high, for the dust had cut down the softer wood, The smell of a burning willow was in the air, and as the three men neared the door, the smell of frying side meat and the smell of high-brown biscuits and the sharp smell of coffee rolling in a pot. Pa stepped up into an open doorway and stood there blocking it with his wide, short body. He said, Ma, there's a couple of fellas just come along in the row, and they wonder if we could spare a bat." Tom heard his mother's voice, and remembered the cool, calm drawl, friendly and humble. Let come, she said. We got a plenty. Tell they got to wash their hands. The bread is done. I'm just taking up the side meat now. And a sizzle of angry grease came from the stove. Pa stepped inside, clearing the door, and Tom looked in at his mother. She was lifting the curling slices of pork from the frying pan. The oven door was open, and a great pan of high brown biscuits stood, waiting there. She looked out the door, but the sun was behind Tom, and she only saw a dark figure outlined by the bright yellow sunlight. She nodded pleasantly. Come in, she said. Just lucky I made plenty of bread this morning. Tom stood, looking in. Ma was heavy, but not fat, thick with childbearing and work. She wore a loose mother Hubbard of grey cloth in which there had once been coloured flowers, but the colour was washed out now so that the small-flowered pattern was only a little lighter grey than the background. The dress came down to her ankles, and her strong, broad, bare feet moved quickly and deftly over the floor. Her thin, grey-steel hair was gathered in a sparse, wispy knot at the back of her head. Strong, freckled arms were bare to the elbow, and her hands were chubby and delicate, like those of a plump little girl's. She looked out into the sunshine. Her full face was not soft, it was controlled, kindly. Her hazel eyes seemed to have experienced all possible tragedies, and to have mounted pain and suffering like steps into a high, calm, and superhuman understanding. She seemed to know, to accept, to welcome her position, the citadel of the family, the strong place that could not be taken. And since old Tom and the children could not know hurt or fear unless she acknowledged hurt and fear, she had practised denying them in herself. And since, when a joyful thing happened, they looked to see whether joy was on her, and it was her habit to build up laughter out of inadequate materials but better than joy, was calm. Impertibility could not be depended upon, and from her great and humble position in the family, she had taken dignity and a clean, calm beauty. From her position as healer, her hands had grown sure and cool and quiet. From her position as arbiter, she had become as remote and as faultless in judgment as a goddess. She seemed to know that if she swayed, The family shook, and if she ever really deeply wavered or despaired, the family would fall. The family will to function would be gone. She looked out into the sunny yard at the dark figure of a man. Pa stood nearby, shaking with excitement. He cried, Come right in, mister. And Tom, a little shamefacedly, stepped over the door sill. She looked up, pleasantly, from the frying pan. And then her hand sank slowly to her side, and the fork clattered to the wooden floor. Her eyes opened wide, and the pupils dilated. She breathed heavily through her open mouth. She closed her eyes. Thank God, she said. Oh, thank God. And suddenly, her face was worried. Tommy? You ain't wanted. You didn't burst loose. No, Ma. Parole. I got the papers here. He touched his breast. She moved toward him, lithely, soundlessly, in her bare feet, and the face was full of wonder. Her small hand felt his arm, felt the soundness of his muscles, and then her fingers went up to his cheek as a blind man's fingers might. "'and her joy was nearly like sorrow. "'Tom pulled his underlip between his teeth and bit it. "'Her eyes went wonderingly to his bitten lip, "'and she saw the little line of blood against his teeth "'and the trickle of blood down his lip. "'Then she knew, and her control came back, "'and her hand dropped. "'Her breath came out explosively. "'Well,' she cried, "'we come mighty near to gone without you.' and we was wondering how in the world you could ever find us. She picked up the fork and combed the boiling grease and brought out a dark curl of crisp pork, and she set the pot of tumbling coffee on the back of the stove. Old Tom giggled. Fooled you, her huh, ma. We aimed to fool ya, and we done it. Just stood there like a hammered sheep. Wish Grandpa had been here to see. Looked like somebody beat you between the eyes with a sledge. Grandpa would have whacked himself so hard he'd throwed his hip out, like he done when he seen Al take a shot at that great big airship the army got. Tommy, it come over one day, half a mile big, and Al guess the thirty thirty and blazes away at her. Grandpa yells, "Don't shoot no fledglings, Al! Wait till a grown-up one goes overhead," and then he whacked himself and throwed his hip out. Ma chuckled, and took down a heap of tin plates from the shelf. Tom asked. Where is grandpa? I ain't seen the old devil. Ma smacked the plates on the kitchen table and piled cups beside them. She said confidentially. Oh, him and grandpa sleeps in the barn. They get up so much in the night they stumbling over the little fellas. Pa broke Yeah, every night grandpa'd get mad. Tumble over Winfield, and Winfield yell, and Grandpa'd get mad and wet in his drawers. And that'd make him madder and pretty soon, everybody in the house be yelling their heads off. His words tumbled out between chuckles. Oh, we had lively times. One night, everybody was yelling and cursing at your brother Al. He's a smart aleck now. He says, God damn it, Grandpa, why don't you run off and be a pirate? Well, that made Grandpa so goddamn mad he went for his gun. I had to sleep out in the field that night. But now Grandma and Grandpa both sleeps in the barn. Ma said, They can just get up and go outside when they feel like it. Pa, run on out and tell them Tommy's home. Grandpa's a favourite of him. Of course, said Pa. I should have done it before. He went to the door and crossed the yard, swinging his hands high. Tom watched him go, and then his mother's voice called his attention. She was pouring coffee, she did not look at him. Tommy, she said hesitantly, timidly. Yeah? His timidity was set off by hers, a curious embarrassment. Each one knew the other was shy, and became more shy in the knowledge. Tommy, I got to ask you, you ain't mad? Mad, ma? You ain't poisoned mad? You don't hate nobody? They didn't do nothing in that jail to write you out with crazy mad. He looked sideways at her, studied her, and his eyes seemed to ask how she could know such things. No? No, he said. I was for a little while, but I ain't proud like some fellas. I let stuff run off me. What's the matter, Ma? Now she was looking at him her mouth open, as though to hear better, her eyes digging to know better. Her face looked for the answer that is always concealed in language. She said in a confusion, I knowed, pretty by Floyd, I knowed his ma. They was good folks. He was full of hell, sure. Like a good boy ought to be. She paused, and then her words poured out. I don't know all at this. I know it. He done a little bad thing. Uh, they hurt him. Caught him and hurt him. So he was mad. And the next bad thing he done was mad. And they hurt him again. And pretty soon he was mean mad. They shot at him like a varmint. And he shot back. and Then they run at him like a coyote. And him a snapping and a snarling. Mean as Lobo. And he was mad. He wasn't no boy or no man no more. He was just a walking chunk of mean mad. But the folks that knowed him didn't hurt him. He wasn't mad at them. Finally, they run him down and killed him. No matter how they said it in paper, how he was bad. That's how it was. She paused, and she licked her dry lips. And her whole face was an aching question. I got to know, Tommy. Did they hurt you so much? Did they make you mad like that? Tom's heavy lips were pulled tight over his teeth. He looked down at his big, flat hands. No, he said. I ain't like that. He paused and studied the broken nails, which were ridged like clamshells. All the time in Star, I kept away from stuff like that. I ain't so mad," she sighed. Thank God, under her breath. He looked up quickly. Ma, when I seen what they done to our house, she came near him then, and stood close, and she said passionately, "Tommy, don't you go fightin' them alone. They'll hunt you down like a coyote. Tommy, I got to thinkin' and dreamin' and wonderin'. They say." There's a hundred thousand of us shoved out. If we was all mad the same way, Tommy, they wouldn't hunt nobody down. She stopped. Tommy, looking at her, gradually dropped his eyelids until just a short glitter showed through his lashes. Many folks feel that way? he demanded. I don't know. Just kind of stunned. Walking round like they was half asleep. From outside and across the yard came an ancient, creaking bleat. Praise God for victory! Tom turned his head and grinned. Grandma finally had him home. Ma, he said, You was never like this before. Her face hardened and her eyes grew cold. I never had my house pushed over, she said. I never had my family stuck out on the road. I never had to sell everything. Here they come now. She moved back to the stove and dumped the big pan of bulbous biscuits on two thin plates. She shook flour into the deep grease to make gravy, and her hand was white with flour. For a moment, Tom watched her, and then he went to the door. Across the yard came four people. Grandpa was ahead. A lean, ragged, quick old man, jumping with quick steps and favouring his right leg, the side that came out of joint. He was buttoning his fly as he came, and his old hands were having trouble finding the buttons. He had buttoned up the top button into the second buttonhole, and that threw the whole sequence off. He wore dark, ragged pants and a torn blue shirt, open all the way down and showing long grey underwear, also unbuttoned. His lean, white chest, fuzzed with white hair, was visible through the opening in his underwear. He gave up the fly, and let it open, and fumbled with the underwear buttons, then gave the whole thing up, and hitched his brown suspenders. He was a lean, excitable face, with little bright eyes, as evil as a frantic child's eyes. A cantankerous, complaining, mischievous, laughing face. He fought and argued, told dirty stories. He was as lecherous as always, vicious and cruel and impatient, like a frantic child, and the whole structure overlaid with amusement. He drank too much when he could get it, ate too much when it was there, and talked too much all the time. Behind him hobbled Grandma, who had survived only because she was as mean as her husband. She had held her own with a shrill, ferocious religiosity that was as lecherous and as savage as anything Grandpa could offer. Once, after a meeting, while she was still speaking in tongues, she fired both barrels of a shotgun at her husband, ripping one of his buttocks nearly off. And after that, he admired her, and did not try to torture her as children torture bugs. As she walked, she hiked her mother Hubbard up to the knees, and she bleated her shrill, terrible war cry, "'Praise!' God for victory! Grandma and Grandpa raced each other to get across the broad yard. They fought over everything, and loved and needed the fighting. Behind them, moving slowly and evenly, but keeping up, came Pa and Noah. Noah, the first born, tall and strange. Walking always with a wandering look on his face, calm and puzzled. He had never been angry in his life. He looked in wonder at angry people. Wonder and uneasiness, as normal people look at the insane. Noah moved slowly, spoke seldom, and then so slowly that people who did not know him often thought him stupid. He was not stupid, but he was strange. He had little pride, no sexual urges. He worked and slept in a curious rhythm that nevertheless sufficed him. He was fond of his folks, but never showed it in any way. Although an observer could not have told why, Noah left the impression of being misshapen. His head, or his body, or his legs, or his mind. But no misshapen member could be recalled. Pa thought he knew why Noah was strange, but Pa was ashamed and never told. For on the night when Noah was born, Pa, frightened at the spreading thighs alone in the house, and horrified at the screaming wretch his wife had become, went mad with apprehension. Using his hands, his strong fingers for forceps, he had pulled and twisted the baby. The midwife, arriving late, had found the baby's head pulled out of shape, its neck stretched, its body warped, and she had pushed the head back and moulded the body with her hands. But Pa, always remembered, and was ashamed. And he was kinder to Noah than the others. In Noah's broad face, eyes, too far apart, and long, fragile jaw, Pa thought he saw the twisted, warped skull of the baby. Noah could do all that was required of him, could read and write, could work and figure, but he didn't seem to care. There was a listlessness in him towards things people wanted and needed. He lived in a strange, silent house, and looked out of it through calm eyes. He was a stranger to all the world, but he was not lonely. The four came across the yard, and Grandpa demanded, Where is he? God damn it, where is he? And his fingers fumbled for his pants button, and forgot and strayed into his pocket. And then he saw Tom, standing in the door. Grandpa stopped, and he stopped the others. His little eyes glittered with malice. Look at him, he said. A jail bird. Ain't been no Jodes in jail for a hell of a time. His mind jumped. Got no right to put him in jail. He done just what I'd do. Sons of bitches got no right. His mind jumped again. An old turnball, stinkin' skunk, braggin' how he'll shoot you when you come out. Says he got Hatfield blood. Well, I sent word to him. I says, "Don't mess around with No Joe." Maybe I got McCoy blood for all I know. I says, "You lay your sights anywhere near Tommy, and I'd take it and I'd ram it up your ass." I says. "'Scared him, too!' "'Grandma, not following the conversation, "'bleated, "'Prize! "'God for victory!' "'Grandpa walked up and slapped Tom on the chest, "'and his eyes grinned with affection and pride. "'How are you, Tommy?' "'Okay,' said Tom. "'How are you keeping yourself?' "'Full of piss and vinegar,' said Grandpa. "'His mind jumped.' Just like I said, they ain't gonna keep no Joe in jail. I says, Tommy'll come a-busting out of jail like a bull through a corral fence. And you done it. Get out of my way. I'm hungry. He crowded past, sat down, loaded his plate with pork and two big biscuits, and poured the thick gravy over the whole mess. And before the others could get in, Grandpa's mouth was full. Tom grinned affectionately at him. "'Ain't he a hailer?' he said. And Grandpa's mouth was so full that he couldn't even sputter, but his mean little eyes smiled, and he nodded his head violently. Grandma said proudly, "'A wickeder, cursin' man never lived. "'He's going to hell on a poker, praise God. "'Wants to drive the truck,' she said spitefully. "'Well, he ain't going to—' Grandpa choked and a mouthful of paste sprayed into his lap, and he coughed weakly. Grandma smiled up at Tom. Messy, ain't he? She observed brightly. Noah stood on the step, and he faced Tom, and his wide-set eyes seemed to look around him. His face had little expression. Tom said, How are you, Noah? Fine, said Noah. How are you? That was all but it was a comfortable thing. Ma waved the flies away from the bowl of gravy. We ain't got room to sit down, she said. Just get yourself a plate and set down wherever you can, out in the yard or someplace. Suddenly, Tom said, Hey, where's the preacher? He was right here. Where'd he go? Pa said, I seen him, but he's gone. And Grandma raised a shrill voice. Preacher? You got a preacher? Go get him. We'll have a grace. She pointed at Grandpa. Too late for him. He's there. Go get the preacher. Tom stepped out on the porch. Hey, Jim! Jim Casey! He called. He walked out in the yard. Oh, Casey! The preacher emerged from under the tank, sat up, then stood up and moved towards the house. Tom asked, "What was you doing, hidin?" Well, no, but a feller shouldn't butt his head in where a family got family stuff. I was just settin', a thinkin'. "Come on in and eat," said Tom. "Grandma wants a grace." But I ain't a preacher no more," Casey protested. "Ah, come on, give her a grace." Don't do you no harm. And she likes em. They walked into the kitchen together. Ma said quietly, You're welcome. And Pa said, You're welcome. Have some breakfast. Grace first, Grandma clamoured. Grace first. Grandpa focused his eyes fiercely until he recognised Casey. Oh, that preacher, he said. Oh, he's all right. I always liked him since I seen him. He winked so lecherously that Grandma thought he had spoken and retorted. Shut up, you sinful old goat! Casey ran his fingers through his hair, nervously. I got to tell you, I ain't a preacher no more. If me just being glad to be here and being thankful for people, that's kind and generous. If that's enough, why, I'll say that kind of grace, but I ain't a preacher no more. Sayer, said Grandma and get a word in about us going to California. The preacher bowed his head, and the others bowed their heads. Ma folded her hands over her stomach, and bowed her head. Grandma bowed her head so low that her nose was nearly in her plate of biscuit and gravy. Tom, leaning against the wall, a plate in his hand, bowed stiffly, and Grandpa bowed his head sideways so that he could keep one mean and merry eye on the preacher. And on the preacher's face, there was a look not of prayer, but of thought, and in his tone, not supplication, but conjecture. I've been thinking, he said. I've been in the hills thinking. Almost, you might say, like Jesus went into the wilderness to think his way out of a mess of troubles. Praise God, Grandma said, and the preacher glanced over at her in surprise. Seems like Jesus got all messed up with troubles, and he couldn't figure nothing out, and he got to feeling what the hell good is it all, and what's the use in fightin' and figuring, and he got tired, got good and tired, and his spirit wore out, just about to come to a conclusion, the hell with it. And so, he went off into the wilderness. Amen, Grandma bleated. So many years she had timed her responses to the pauses. And it was so many years since she had listened to or wondered at the words used. I ain't saying I'm like Jesus, the preacher went on, but I got tired like him. And I got mixed up like him. And I went into the wilderness like him, without no camping stuff. Nighttime, I'd lay on my back and look at the stars. Morning, I'd sit and watch the sun come up. Midday, I'd look out from a hill at the rolling, dry country. Evening, I'd follow the sun down. Sometime, I'd pray, like I always done. Only, I couldn't figure out what I was praying for. There was the hills, and there was me, and we wasn't separate no more. We was one thing, and that one thing was holy. Hallelujah, said Grandma, and she rocked a little back and forth, trying to catch hold of an ecstasy. And I got to thinking, only it wasn't thinking, it was deeper down than thinking. I got thinking how we was holy when we was one thing, and mankin was holy when it was one thing. And it only got unholy when one miserable little fella got the bit in his teeth, and run off his own way, kicking and dragging and fighting. Fella like that bust the holiness. But where they're all working together, not one fella for another fella, but one fella kinda harnessed to the whole shebang. That's right. That's holy. And then I got thinking, I don't even know what I mean by holy. He paused. But the bowed head stayed down for they had been trained like dogs to raise at the Amen signal. I can't say no grace like I used to say. I'm glad the holiness the breakfast. I'm glad there's love here. That's all. The head stayed down. The preacher looked around. I've, I've got your breakfast, cold," he said. And then he remembered. Amen, he said. And all the heads rose up. "'Amen,' said Grandma, and she fell to her breakfast "'and broke down the soggy biscuits with her hard old toothless gums. "'Tom ate quickly, and Pa crammed his mouth. "'There was no talk until the food was gone, the coffee drunk. "'Only the crunch of chewed food and the slurp of coffee "'cooled in transit to the tongue. "'Ma watched the preacher as he ate, and her eyes were questioning, probing, and understanding. She watched him as though he was suddenly a spirit, not human anymore. A voice out of the ground. The men finished, and put down their plates, and drained the last of their coffee. And then the men went out. Pa, and the preacher, and Noah, and Grandpa, and Tom. And they walked over to the truck avoiding the litter of furniture, the wooden bedsteads, the windmill machinery, the old plough. They walked to the truck and stood beside it. They touched the new pineside boards. Tom opened up the hood and looked at the big greasy engine, and Pa came up beside him. He said, Your brother, Al, looked over before we bought her. He says she's all right. What's he now? It's just a squint said Tom. He worked for a company, drove truck last year. He knows quite a little. Smart Alec he is. He knows. He can tinker an engine, Al can. Tom asked, where's he now? Well, said Pa. he's a billy goatin' round the country. Tom counting himself to death. Smart aleck, sixteen years older and his nuts just a eggin' him on. He don't think of nothing but girls and agents. A plain smart aleck. Ain't been in nights for a week. Grandpa, fumbling with his chest, had succeeded in buttoning the buttons of his blue shirt into the buttonholes of his underwear. His fingers felt that something was wrong, but did not care enough to find out. His fingers went down to try and figure out the intricacies of buttoning his fly. I was worse, he said happily. I was much worse. I was a heller, you might say. Why, there was a camp meeting, right? In Salisaw, when I was a young fella. A little bit older now. He's just a squirt and punkin' soft. But I was older. And we was to this here camp meeting. Five hundred folks there and a proper sprinkling o' young heifers. You look like a heller yet, Grandpa, said Tom. Well, I am, kinda. But... I ain't nowhere near the feller I was. Just let me get out to California, where I can pick me an orange when I want. Or grapes. There's a thing I ain't never had enough of. Gonna get me a whole big bunch of grapes off a bush, or whatever, and I gonna squash em on my face and let run off my chin. Tom asked, Where's Uncle John? Where's Roshan? Where's Ruthie and Winfield? Nobody said nothing about them yet. Pa said, nobody asked. John, gone to Sally Saw, with a load of stuff to sell, pumps, tools, chickens, and all the stuff we brung over, took Ruthie and Winfield with him, went for daylight. Funny, I never saw him, said Tom. Well, you come down from the highway, didn't you? He took the back way, by Collington. And Rochon, she's nesting with Connie's folks. By God, you don't even know Rochon's married Connie Rivers. You remember Connie? Nice young fella. And Rochon's due about three, four, five months now. Swelling up right now. Looks fine. Jesus, said Tom. Rochon was just a little kid and now she's gonna have a baby? So damn much happens in four years if you're away. When you think to start out west, Pa? Well, we gotta take this stuff and sell it. If Al gets back from his squirtin' round, I figure we could load the truck and take all of it in. Maybe we could start out tomorrow or day after. We ain't got so much money, and a fella says it's damn near 2,000 miles to California. Quicker we get started, sure is we get there. Money's a dribblin' out all the time. You got any money? Only a couple of dollars. How'd you get money? Well, said Paul, We sold the stuff at our place, and a whole bunch of us chopped cotton, even Grandpa. Sure did, said Grandpa. We put everything together, two hundred dollars. We give seventy-five for this here truck, and me and Al cut her in two and build on this here back. Al was going to grind the valves, but he's too busy messing around to get down to her. We'll have maybe a hundred and fifty when we start. Damn old tyres on this here truck ain't gonna go far. Got a couple of wore-out spars. Pick stuff up along the road, I guess. The sun, driving straight down, stung with its rays. The shadows of the truck bed were dark bars on the ground, and the truck smelled of hot oil and oilcloth and paint. The few chickens had left the yard to hide in the tool shed from the sun. In the sty, the pigs lay, panting, close to the fence where the thin shadow fell, and they complained shrilly now and then. The two dogs were stretched in the red dust under the truck, panting, their dripping tongues covered in dust. Pa pulled his hat low over his eyes and squatted down on his hams, and, as though this were his natural position of thought and observation, he surveyed Tom critically. "'the new but ageing cap, the suit, and the new shoes. "'Did you spend your money on those clothes?' he asked. "'Them clothes just go and be a nuisance to you.' "'They give em to me,' said Tom. "'When I come out, they give them to me.' "'He took off his cap and looked at it with some admiration, "'then wiped his forehead with it and put it on rakishly and pulled at the visor. Par observed.' They's a nice-looking pair of shoes they give you.' "'Yeah,' Jude agreed. "'Pretty for nice, but they ain't no shoes to go walkin' around on a hot day.' He squatted beside his father. Noah said slowly, "'Maybe if you got them sideboards all true on, we could load up this stuff. "'Load her up so maybe if Al comes in.' "'I can drive her if that's what you want,' Tom said. I drove truck at McAllister. Good, said Pa, and then his eyes started down the road. If I ain't mistaken, there's a young smart aleck dragging his tail home right now, he said. Looks pretty wore out, too. Tom the Preacher looked up the road, and Randy Owl, seeing as he was being noticed, threw back his shoulders and came into the yard with a swaying strut like that of a rooster about to crow. Cockley, he walked close before he recognised Tom, and when he did, his boasting face changed, and admiration and veneration shone in his eyes, and his swagger fell away. His stiff jeans with the bottoms turned up eight inches to show his heeled boots, his three-inch belt with copper figures on it. Even the red armbands on his blue shirt and the rackish angle of his Stetson hat could not build him up to his brother's stature, for his brother had killed a man, and no one would ever forget it. Al knew that even he had inspired some admiration among boys of his own age, because his brother had killed a man. He had heard and Sally saw how even he was pointed out. There's Al Joud, his brother killed a fellow with a shovel. And now Al, moving humbly near, saw that his brother was not a swagger as he had supposed. Al saw the dark, brooding eyes of his brother, and the prison calm. The smooth, hard face, trained to indicate nothing to a prison guard, neither resistance nor slavishness. And instantly, Al changed. Unconsciously, he became like his brother, and his handsome face brooded and his shoulders relaxed. He hadn't remembered how Tom was. Tom said, ''Hello?'' "'Jesus, you're grown like a bane. "'I wouldn't have knowed you.' "'Al, his hand ready if Tom should want to shake it, "'grinned self-consciously. "'Tom stuck out his hand, "'and Al's hand jerked out to meet it. "'And there was a liking between these two. "'They tell me you're a good hand with a truck,' said Tom. "'And Al, sensing that his brother would not like a boaster, said, "'I don't know nothing much about it,' "'Pa said, "Been smart Alkin, around the country.' You look wore out. Well, you gotta take a load of stuff in the sally sort of cell. Al looked at his brother Tom. Care to ride in? He said, as casually as he could. No, I, I can't, said Tom. I'll help round here. We'll be together on the road. Al tried to control his question. Did... Did you bust out? Of jail? No said Tom. I got paroled. Oh, and I was a little disappointed. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, Bye-bye.